0: wanted to be in a fancy metropolitan broadcast facility where the most thought-provoking thing within view is an occasional four-car pileup on the freeway below. We like being miles from nowhere in the middle of a vineyard that cannot be seen from the little two-lane road on the other side of that rise. Our barn has awesome acoustics and was built with hand tools over a hundred years ago. Nonetheless, we've got some really state-of-the-art broadcast technology inside and our wine cellar once a root cellar that is absolutely packed with wine we've collected or been given by friends. Welcome. You have just set foot on Grape Encounter's radio property, where we don't believe in no trespassing signs. But let's make this our little secret. Oh, and that wine is protected by the sweetest-looking golden retriever who dated a Doberman for a while, so don't get any ideas.
1: Me
0: some ice, skin me a peach, save the fuzz for my pillow.
1: In vineyards around the world, and especially in California, winemakers are turning their backs on pesticides and man made solutions to problems dished out by Mother Nature. Some of the world's most outstanding grape growers are now employing dogs, sheep, and even harmless insects to do the work that was once reserved for poisons. And here's the best part. The grapevines are healthier and more resilient than ever before, and the wines are better as well. The Benziger Family Winery in Sonoma County, California, is one of America's most beloved super premium brands. Their wines are of exceptional quality, and much of the winery's success is rooted in the Benziger family's determination to be outstanding stewards of the land. So as a special treat to listeners and to tell us how this superstar winery uses animals and other natural solutions to grow great grapes and make delicious wines is Chris Benziger, Vice President of Trade Relations. Hey Chris, welcome to Grape Encounters. Hey David, how are you doing? I am loving life right now because it's raining on the central coast of California, and what's happening in Sonoma?
2: Well, we had a little bit of rain too. As a matter of fact, it's pretty dramatic. We got a big old thunder and hailstorm, which is really unusual, and big old chunks of hail. You know, I guess if you're in the Midwest, they wouldn't rain at all. But for here, since we don't get it, it's a big deal. Everybody ran out to collect them, and now I'm looking at a gigantic double rainbow over the winery. It's picturesque. How
1: do you make a double rainbow. Uh,
2: you know what? I don't know, but it's <laughs> happening right now, believe it or not. It's a rainbow and a rainbow. It's awesome.
1: Chris, you do realize that there are people in other parts of the country that are laughing at us right now.
2: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <They go. laughs> there you go. Particularly the meteorologists around there, right? But the rain is falling from the sky and we'll take what we can get.
1: Yeah. Before you laugh at Californians for being excited about the rain, bear in mind, we make about 90% of the wine that's consumed in the United States, <laughs> you know. So and we need
2: some water to do it. Yeah, Put us on. <laughs> you know, we've had a couple of storms, but no real rain for four years. It's crazy.
1: Yeah. Now, are you confident it's going to change this year?
2: Uh, you know what? I, I got to believe it. Yes, I'm confident. I love it because they talk about El Nino, which is the biggest one since 98. And then they have the blob. That's its official name. I love it. It sounds so science fiction This big <laughs> blob of warm water off the Pacific coast, and the two are merging, and we're supposed to have a Super El Nino. And if it's anything, I mean, we don't get thunderstorms here. and We had a big old thunderstorm today.
1: Yeah, fantastic. Now, you guys do a lot of dry farming there, don't you?
2: We do. We do um, quite a bit, which is always, when you're in this big of a drought, scares you to death because you're definitely at the whim of Mother Nature.
1: Well, it's really funny because when people hear that a winery dry farms, they go, so what's the big deal about the drought? But, you know, dry farming depends on getting some rain.
2: (laughs) Yeah, you need need rain. And and, uh, more importantly, you need healthy roots. And that's the one thing that we have here. Because we've been farming on this piece of property biodynamically since the mid-90s and our root systems are very, very deep. And you could definitely tell that this year when you're cruising through wine country, the vineyards that were struggling and the vineyards that weren't by looking at the canopy and seeing some of the canopies towards the end of the harvest were definitely starting to yellow out and vineyards that were a little bit more healthy, their canopy was um, still green.
1: So what kind of productivity did you guys have? Were you down or were you... Yeah, we were down. We were
2: down mostly because of in May we had a very, uh, it sounds weird, but we had a Damper than normal May. It was the only. It was basically we had our whole winter in May, which is unusual, and it was during set. And we got to remember that grapes are self-pollinating. So what little moisture we got came at the wrong time, and it washed the pollens off the grapes, so they didn't set. So we had what's called shatter, and and that means you have a grape cluster that's not so complete. So we lost probably about twenty to twenty-five percent of the harvest right there. Yeah. And then we had some heat spikes through the year, more than usual, and uh, that caused some damage to the crop. So I've heard people losing upwards of over fifty percent, and other people down around 30%, but it was a definitely a down year. The quality is going to be okay, which is great. It's going to be not as good as 12 or 13 or 14, but certainly better than 11 and 10. So it's another good vintage.
1: I think we had your sister on Kathy about a year ago and we were talking about the subject of sustainability, but we didn't really get into the way that you manage the property with animals particularly and there was a great story that came out about you guys a couple of weeks ago from the Wine Institute that I found very, very amusing about the sheep.
2: (laughs) Yes, and and they're lambing right now on cue with the rain, which is awesome. Really? Yeah. We had two lambs yesterday and another two lambs today, so um, they'll start lambing here pretty quick and then this rain, the the, uh, grass will start to grow, so the lambs will start uh, cruising out there and eating in the vineyard, so hopefully this year everything's going to work out.
1: The funny thing is this, the use of animals and managing a vineyard in the olden days, that was a natural thing to do, and then we learned how to use things like pesticides and really wiped out the land for a pretty long time. And now everybody's figured out that the way it was done a gazillion years ago is the way it should be done and we're going back to our roots. Let's talk about what you guys are doing there. Can you cover the gambit of all of the things that you're doing?
2: Yeah, sure. So you hit it on the head. We kind of got very efficient and when we plant a vineyard or or pretty much any farm now, we got the animals out. You think about 100 years ago, most farms had animals together with them and now you either raise animals or you raise crops. And in a vineyard too. It's very much that way. We just have a monoculture of just grapes in a, in a standard commercial vineyard. What we learned pretty quick is that that monoculture didn't work for us because we were spraying chemicals and then chemical fertilizers and we were killing the microorganisms in the soil and that was compressing the soil, suppressing the roots. And then we, what we were getting was erosion issues. We were getting uh, phylloxera. We had nematodes. The wine quality wasn't getting any better. and We realized we needed to make a change. So we switched over to these more sustainable farming techniques. In our case, we went all the way to biodynamics. What we did is, instead of talking to the guy that sells you the pesticides, we talked to a bug guy, an entomologist, and say, you know, instead of having uh, you know, a big bag of methyl ethyl bad stuff to kill the bug, <laughs> yeah. we talked to the, the bug guy and say, what's the natural enemy? Let's say something like a leafhopper. And so they'll say a few things, and one of them may be um, an egg wasp. And so you can't go buy them. You have to attract them. So we find the plants that attract these egg wasps and they go fly out and they kill the eggs of the leafhoppers they can't propagate boom no more leafhoppers so we kind of take that strategy for every pest in the vineyard and try to find its corresponding enemy and then attracting that enemy out there and we call these gardens we call them insectaries
1: <laughs> I, and I, kind
2: of, yeah, I kind of think of them as like the e-harmony of the bug dating world <laughs> we try to get the bugs to you know propagate in these gardens and then they fly out and have their dinner and lunch out in the vineyard and, and kill the pests that are bugging the plants and it's not just insects it's also birds we we have bluebirds and hummingbird boxes and owl boxes. And bluebirds and hummingbirds fly around. And when they have their little hatchlings, they're feeding them bug protein all day long. So they're killing good, bad, and ugly bugs. So it's this kind of system, this self regulating system, if you will. And then take an owl. Like before, to kill gophers, we'd have to find the gopher hole and put down poison seed for the gopher to eat. Then the gopher would eat the seed and die. Then, you know, Mr. Fox would dig up the gopher hole, eat the dead gopher. He, the fox, would die. Then your poor ranch dog is cruising around, sees the fox, chews on that he gets sick and die. So you have this train wreck of dead animals trying to kill a gopher, when if you have a healthy owl population, it'll take care of all the gophers. So yeah. I like to think we have the most paranoid rodents in Sonoma County here <laughs> with the setup that we have. Oh,
1: awesome. And <laughs> hey, we're talking to Chris Benziger of the Benziger Family Winery, talking about how animals and insects and even plants are used to manage the health of the vineyard. And really, if you read up on what's going on in the world of sustainability, nobody does it better than and Benziger. You guys are really all over it. I wonder this, you were using pesticides on the property some years ago. You don't anymore. How long does it take for the property to be free of
2: all the chemicals and stuff? We were really doing a job on this place and it took us almost six years to clean it out.
1: So how does one do that?
2: Well, you you stop using, you kind of go cold turkey and then you start planting your gardens and convert over and you got to really just kind of let your property kind of clean itself out, kind of flush itself, detox if you Will. And it's just basically letting it go through its seasonal changes. You know what I mean? Just not spray it. And eventually the root systems start to get healthy again. These other plants start taking over and you start kind of a, establishing that polyculture, getting away from just the monoculture. Those gardens start coming back to life. They start attracting the insects. It's a very slow process. So you have to be patient. And by 99 and 2000, we saw the property very healthy. And in 2000, we were certified. And in 2001, we made our first biodynamic wine. So yeah, it took a while, but it's amazing to. To see the property go from being almost dead, a green desert as you will, if you think, to this beautiful verdant garden while you're still making high quality wine. It's amazing. It's a beautiful piece of property. And you, when you walk through it, you can feel the balance out there.
1: There is no doubt about that. I've been on the property. It is one of the most beautiful properties in all of both Sonoma and Napa. And you guys are so fortunate to be working on that piece of real estate. We're talking to Chris Benziger from the Benziger Family Winery. When we come back, we're going to talk about how Chris and the family use, of all things, sheep to do a lot of the heavy lifting there on the property when we return with Grape Encounters Radio. So open up a bottle of Benziger, and we'll be here in just a second to continue this conversation.
2: We like to talk about wine.
1: A lot of people ask me why Manzanita Manor's incredible Portuguese dessert wine is called Two Horse. Well, the reason behind the name is as extraordinary as the wine itself. It's because the owner and winemaker at Manzanita Manor Organics actually uses two beautiful horses to pull the plow on her farmland. When you take your very first sip of the two-horse vineyard's irresistible dessert wine, you'll immediately experience the winemaker's unparalleled connection to the land. It's what really makes it so good. You can purchase this exceptional wine online, as well as their purely delicious walnut oil, 100% organic heirloom walnuts, and free trade chocolate covered walnuts. To learn more about all the Manzanita Manor Organics products, visit mmorganics.com. You can order all their walnut products there, and bottles of two horse, of course. Purchase and shipping subject to state and local regulations. Please see MMOrganics.com for more information.
0: We're all guilty of sin. We open a costly bottle of wine and recork it with the intent of drinking the rest later. But later comes and goes, and that delicious wine also goes. South, that is. The Coravin is the most reliable way to enjoy your wine without any concern about the unconsumed wine going bad. And while the Coravin Wine Access System costs a bit more than other preservation systems, it does something they don't. It works perfectly. The Coravin is a beautifully engineered handheld device that gives you access to your wine through a small needle that you gently push straight through the cork. Inert argon gas is injected into the bottle, while as little or as much of the wine that you want flows right into your glass. The argon gas keeps your wine so safe, it's as though you never opened the bottle. Want to learn more? Simply click the Coravin link at grapeencounters.com. A wine is a terrible thing to waste. Get your Coravin at grapeencounters.com. Now, Grape Encounters with David Wilson continues. Old-timer,
1: old-timer, too late to die young now. Old-timer, five and dimer, trying to find a way to age like wine somehow with Grape Encounters Radio and what a privilege to have on the line with me Chris Benziger from the Benziger Family Winery. Chris, you guys sold it.
2: We did. It was a tough day for the family but we found a true partner in the wine group and these guys believed in our legacy and what they did is they really bought the corporate culture. They hired every single employee back. They're going to leave us alone. All they want us to do really is to make great wine and grow it certified sustainable. They're really great partners because they really believe in what we're doing here. But
1: that was a quantum leap for them because they have not been known as being owners of super premium brands.
2: They're very, very smart people, and they realize that this particular category we're in, it's a very growing segment of the business, and they needed to be players in it. And normally, they're organic in the sense that they would create their own brands, but in this case, they saw what we had here and when we negotiated with them, they wanted to buy the the property in its entirety. A lot of corporate takeovers, they would buy something and break it up. Here, all they want to do is say, hey, we love what you guys are doing. We kind of want your corporate culture. We want you guys to do what you're going to do. So here, we're going to buy the winery, but we want you guys to run it. You know, obviously, we partnered with them, and and they they oversee us, but they want us to do what we do. It couldn't be a better partnership.
1: So let's see, that was June, July, August, September, October, and about five months ago. Yeah, I went into a
2: kicking and screaming. I'm not Goliath, but I've been so impressed with these guys. They're making all the right moves. They're very, very smart people.
1: Well, you guys also got a pretty good chunk of change.
2: <laughs> yeah, Some of us did. That's absolutely right. All right. <laughs> I would be in Fiji right now. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I still got to sing for my supper. All
1: right. Okay. Well, anyway, so you're staying on with the new owners and let's talk about some of the things that you guys are doing that are going to be in a lot of people's mind a little out there, but it certainly makes a lot of sense to me. Can we Talk sheep for a minute.
2: Yeah, the the sheep, they are wooly weed eaters. When you come to a winery, that's the one thing you don't usually expect to see are a bunch of uh, lambs dancing in the vineyard. But here at Benziger, you'll, you'll see that because it's amazing how hard these girls work. We have right now about 60 ewes, female sheep, and they're almost all pregnant. Um, matter of fact, we had a couple lambs over the weekend and two more today. And each ewe will have typically two lambs. So we'll have almost 120 lambs here by Christmas time. And that's right when the grass starts to grow here in the vineyards and so they'll release them out after the harvest here and they'll go through the vineyards eating all the grass and anything that overwinters like any grapes that are on the ground any leaves and they really clean up the vineyard so that there's nothing overwinters and creates mildew issue that we have to fight in the spring their little cloven hooves are tilling the ground they're not compressing it and, you know, they're liberally fertilizing as they go. So they're doing quite a few jobs as they clean the vineyard floor, fertilizing as they go.
1: So as they move about the vineyard, those little feet actually will push the dying leaf matter and things like that into the soil and, I guess, aerate the soil at the same time as well.
2: Right, aerate. And, you know, they'll push it down so the worms can digest it. And it's very healthy. So the vineyard is very, very clean. Plus, by eating the grass, you don't have to use mowers also it allows the air to kind of sweep through the vine so there's no mildew issues and like i said before they're fertilizing as they go so it's much more healthy on the vineyard than you would where you're compacting it with tractors they're called dorpers they're kind of a smaller breed and they're also self-shedding so i don't have to worry about clipping the the wool off them it kind of falls off in little bits and what's funny is the birds take it to build nests so the birds out here no have kidding. the most cush wool nests you've ever <laughs> seen it's pretty neat that's
1: a now you said that these girls work hard gosh i hate to ask what happens to the boys
2: well one boy gets very lucky he's mr lucky he comes in we bring in one ram during the summertime and he's got 60 girlfriends and i will let the listeners uh, decide what happens there but at the end of the season in the spring lambs we get rid of the male lambs and keep only the females how
1: do you get to be mr
2: lucky (laughs) how do you get that job i want to come back as mr lucky
1: oh my gosh yeah it's a short but fun life (laughs) who gets to pick mr lucky
2: you know what how it works is i try to get different DNA, so I have this guy by the name of Don Watson, who is a rancher out here, and he's a big sheep guy, so I'll go up to him, and he'll give me a fairly promiscuous ram every summertime, and I'll bring him in and have him uh, hang out with the ladies.
1: Yeah, how about that job? I'll tell you what, if you (laughs) don't do your job every single day, you become dinner.
2: That's it. A lot of pressure. That's funny. You're funny.
1: But none of us would complain about that job, probably. No, 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 it's a lot of work. Do they make Viagra for sheep? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, (laughs) Absolutely. Actually that's this not guy, that's not biodynamic. Think he
2: needs it though. He's, he seems pretty active. <laughs>
1: okay let's talk about dogs let's not leave them out they have a great um, role in in
2: that picture i have a wonderful yellow lab there and she's not a true working dog but she's good with the sheep she doesn't chase them too much she helps me keep them in line and she basically keeps the rabbits out and the deer out of the vineyard she likes to chase those guys around and she basically is the greeter here if you come to the winery your chances are you'll see bloom my yellow lab out here and she'll probably come up to your picnic table and, and give you the sad look and try to get some cheese from you
1: but i saw somewhere that the dogs actually patrol the vineyard as well.
2: They definitely do. We've had dogs for our sheep because we have mountain lions here. And uh, before we built a sheep chateau, built a little barn for the sheep. It's pretty nice too. We had dogs in the vineyard to keep the mountain lions because the first year we had them, we had a couple mountain lions attacks. And that's very sad.
1: Yeah, definitely. You know, the
2: lions are doing what they got to do. And the sheep fortunately suffer for it. So I wanted to find a kind of a common ground where I could not have to hurt the lions, but keep them away and take care of the
1: sheep. So you, do you have to get the sheep in at night? Is that what you do?
2: Now I do. We put them in this barn that's a a beautiful stone barn with a living roof, but it's got kind of a heavy gauge wire on it, so um, the lions can't get in, the sheep are safe, and everybody's happy.
1: Okay. Hey, I heard a number recently, and I I just wanted to see if you could confirm this, that 70% of California's vineyard acreage now participates in the sustainability program?
2: I don't know what the exact number is, to be honest with you, but the California Certified Wine Growing Program is getting more and more members, and it's really important because we're quickly learning that growing your grapes sustainable is not one of these things, it's kind of either or. You can grow very high quality fruit and do it sustainable. You know what's
1: amazing is, I think back to even 10 years ago, I used to rant a lot about the quality of organically grown wines because when you go into a place like Whole Foods or any market really or retailer that sells wine and you grabbed a wine that was organic, they weren't all that good
2: well, for because a long they while. They in it, right? And that's a tough one when you're shipping wine across the country, wines without sulfites don't travel all that well. They could be great wines at the winery, but they don't travel well. So we'd get this wine that, you know, maybe had a couple fluctuations in temperature, and they're turned, and they are awful. They're on their way to vinegar. Yeah. So now we have to get wines, not so much that are organic, but are organically grown. That's the words that you need to look for.
1: Yeah, but I'll tell you, it certainly has turned around. In fact, I can't think of a winemaker or I should say grape grower that isn't adhering very strictly to the sustainability practices. And these wines are fantastic. Isn't it amazing that when we don't take shortcuts, things just taste better?
2: Right. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think when you see your vineyard come back to life, that's also the best reward anybody could get is to make a high quality product and then see the land actually get better. To make a high-quality wine and then have Mother Nature benefit from it, that is a true win-win. Yeah,
1: it certainly is. Hey, Chris, it's been such a pleasure to have you on. i, I got to tell you. The time
2: you. is, David, the time has flew by, and I hope I can talk to you and your listeners again sometime soon.
1: You can. The next time I'm in the neighborhood, I'm going to drop by.
2: We'll go for a walk with my dog, and we'll see how the sheep are doing. Yeah, <laughs> and, and then we'll uh,
1: sit down for a nice rack of lamb.
2: A rack of lamb with a great Peter Noir. You'll uh, love
1: it. All right, that sounds good. Hey, Chris, thank you so much. Take care. Folks, uh, stay with us. Coming up next, it's Sarah Schneider, our wine editor from Sunset Magazine, as we uh, jump into sipping with Sarah right here on Grape Encounters Radio.
2: Do, 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 do. Wine.
1: Grape Encounters Radio is always on the lookout for great story ideas, even if they're completely and totally off the wall. So here's the deal. Share your story ideas with me or send a question you'd like to hear answered on the show. If I use your question or suggestion, I'll send you a special gift. I want to know what you want to know. You can contact me on the Grape Encounters Radio group page on Facebook or email david at grapeencountersradio.com. If you've got something for me, I've got something for you.
0: Sweep Encounters Radio is based in Atascadero, California for good reason. It's the heart of the Central Coast wine country and the perfect home base for endless adventures. Atascadero is friendly, affordable, and offers unparalleled access to world-class equestrian ranches, bicycle trails, hiking, breathtaking beaches, cutting-edge culinary experiences, and endless wine country adventures. Learn more about Atascadero, the gateway to good times, At visit Atascadero.com. As a Grape Encounterist, you know how much fun an hour of conversation about wine can be each week. But there's no way we can pack everything into a show. Listeners just like you are turning the Grape Encounters Radio Facebook group into an incredible online community where like-minded wine lovers converse, share information, and inspire each other with posts on a variety of interesting topics. If you haven't discovered your community, join in today on Facebook by entering Grape Encounters Radio why not get a jump on the holidays and start looking for the perfect gift for that wine lover in your life at winetalkshow.com you'll find an awesome selection of wine related gifts and accessories that are not the same old same old from the most advanced wine preservation systems to beautiful accessories if you can remember winetalkshow.com you can find tons of products for wine lovers in a snap We've got what every wine lover wants at winetalkshow.com. She's earthy, honest, and sipping each week as a service to you. From Sunset Magazine, it's Sarah Schneider, and this is Sipping with Sarah on Grape Encounters Radio, broadcasting from our wine cellar studio in idyllic Atascadero, centrally located in the Central Coast wine
1: country of California. All right, we are back with Grape Encounters Radio, and sitting here in the studio with me today is Sarah Schneider. How long have we been doing this together now?
3: Has it been two years?
1: It's been like two years now. Goodness. Isn't that fantastic? That is fantastic. We're growing old together. (laughs) And what better way to grow old together than to drink a lot of wine in the process?
3: It means we're being
1: preserved together. From the inside out, which is always a good way to do it. Yeah. (laughs) So I wanted to talk today about wine education, because there was a time when nobody had a clue what the word sommelier even meant.
3: Or could say it.
1: And I say sommelier. I don't know what, what do you say?
3: I say say sommelier. I think you're closer to the original French.
1: (laughs) I always just say Somme and then I'm feeling ill, and then yay, hooray, hooray. (laughs) And it works. Sommelier, nobody will fault you for it.
3: There you go. There's the trick. Anyway, what
1: I was fascinated with was I read an article talking about the fact that there were 19 people who passed the recent Master of Wine final exam.
3: That's an amazingly big number.
1: It's a big number, but when you think about it, it's also a small number when you consider tens of millions of people are really hardcore wine enthusiasts and how few really have a solid education in wine.
3: That's true. In fact, does this number push it over 200 in the whole world of Masters of Wine? No, there are a few more Masters of Wine than Master Psalms. Yes. Um, So it's probably somewhere in the 200s, but that's worldwide. What's interesting
1: is that the people
3: who seem to really be going
1: after this kind of certification, they're young. And we're talking about a profession that for... Ages. I mean, certainly as long as you and I've been alive, has been considered to be one of the most pretentious, stuffy professions that you can be in. And now sommeliers and wine experts, and by the way, sommelier means wine expert, just so you know, they are becoming as big a rock stars as these really amazing chefs that have been coming onto the scene now for the past couple of decades. That's
3: true. And because the interest is getting younger, I think it's very much helping to move that needle from that pretentious older man's arena to the young interest. I mean, millennials are very interested in wine detail yes. now.
1: And they love doing it. And I find it very interesting that at our shop, the Grape Encounters Emporium, we have frequently now had people coming in who are studying for their sommelier exams and they want us to pour wines based on a certain set of criteria (laughs) in the blind and then test them interesting. Because they want to be on completely neutral turf, and they don't want any chance of getting any hints or clues about these wines. Mm -hmm. They'll say, pour us six wines in the blind, and they need to be in these categories, and it could be 20 categories or whatever. But they love doing that. We love doing that. As we talked about a couple of weeks ago, this whole idea of drinking wine in the blind is a very good idea because, you know, first decide whether you like it, and then figure out what it is. Figure
3: out what it is. And for both... Both of those professional tracks, the Master of Wine and the Master Sommelier, they have to do a ton of tasting blind, just to develop to the level of the deductive reasoning that will get them through that final tasting test. So it's not just academic knowledge, it's that sensory astuteness. And from what I hear from friends who have worked toward either of those, they just can't get enough tasting.
1: I made this observation just last week, and it's not an observation I had really made before. It goes like this. I have people who are sommelier candidates that come in and they know they can count on me to just pour them a wine and not tell them what it is what's fascinating is that i would say 75 at least percent of the time they will blurt out an answer They'll say, I think it's this, this, or whatever, and I'll just listen to them, and then they'll kind of narrow it down to two or three possibilities, but then they don't go with their first possibility.
3: (laughs) They overthink it.
1: They overthink it, and they get it wrong. And right out of the shoot, they taste it, they go, oh, that's a whatever it is. Well, no, wait a second. Wait a second. Let me think here. No, it couldn't be that. It's got to be this. And then they'll go through like this laundry list of things, <laughs> all of which are wrong. They had it right the first time. And that's happened so many times. I can't even tell you. They it's, don't trust themselves.
3: That is a lesson I learned. So I am not on either of those tracks, but I have passed the introductory level for the Master Psalm program. I mean, I would like to pat myself on the back for that, but anybody could do it. You take a weekend of classes and they tell you what they're going to tell test you on, and then they test you. It doesn't have a tasting component. But during the classwork over the weekend, we did a series of blind tastings, and we each had to talk about some part of the wine as we were learning this deductive tasting. Um, And the master psalms who were our instructors, the thing they said the most to the novice that we were coming to this as they were going through their thought process, the instructors kept saying, don't overthink it don't overthink it. Don't overthink it. It was really interesting.
1: That's an important point to remember if you're taking the exam because they really aren't trying to fool you. Right. That's a very important thing to remember. If you're taking that exam, nobody's trying to foul you up. If anything, they're probably going to pour for you wines that are very true to that varietal character.
3: Classic versions. Yes, exactly. Of, of those grapes worldwide.
1: Yeah, yeah. but you've got to follow your instincts. Oh, by the way, did you notice in front of you, Sarah, what in the a glass of wine Goodness, showed up.
3: you've poured me a glass of red wine.
1: Let's see how much you can overthink this.
3: <laughs> I'm guilty of a lot okay, of overthinking.
1: This okay. isn't a test, but this is a little aside. We're taking a breather here while Sarah sniffs, <laughs> swirls. I love the fact that you actually can swirl your glass without swirling the microphone.
3: <laughs> it might be all down my top here, but okay. I, the microphone <laughs> well, is clean.
1: All right. It's radio, not TV.
3: Oh, that is a very delicious wine, by the way. It is a lush red wine. It has a plush mouthfeel with a spiciness under that red fruit. Are we in Zinfandel territory?
1: I think you're in Zinfandel land.
3: Actually. <laughs> land not just territory? Yeah. Okay. It's ripe. Well... Zinfandel itself suggests California.
1: And that would be correct as well. So Napa-Sonoma area, Lodi, Mendocino, Temecula, Central Coast.
3: As you name those regions, I'm thinking in terms of ripeness and alcohol levels. Yes. But I'm guessing that you might be surprising me here. Um,
1: Sarah, don't overthink <laughs> it.
3: I'm going to go with Lodi.
1: You'd be wrong. You overthought it. I overthought it. Yeah. Next choice?
3: My next choice is... Sierra Foothills.
1: Wrong.
3: Oh, you've got me. Three strikes rule.
1: Three strikes rule. Last chance. Another sip. Any excuse to get another sip? That's the funny part.
3: Mendocino. Sierra!
1: You're going to wine jail for a very long time, Sarah. <laughs> oh. I'm sorry. It's Central Coast.
3: Central Coast Sinfandel. It's Central
1: Coast. And it is actually Central Coast and the winemaker. You should be familiar with this winemaker a little bit because last year I brought you a bottle of his prior vintage. It's St. Hilaire. Now, I don't love his label too much, but I do love his wines.
3: And I remember loving this last time.
1: You had the 2012. This is the 2013, which I frankly think turned out better than the 2012. I mean, this is a really, really baby wine that's only been in the bottle for a very short period of time.
3: This is not a shy wine. So this I was, is not so, a shy so wine. Here, here's my defense of my reasoning.
1: Um, of your Riesling?
3: My, my Riesling. Okay. I can always defend my Rieslings. I have my Rieslings. It struck me as having a fairly high alcohol level, according to the label it does. And so I was thinking of warmer places Although Paso Robles is a fairly warm place. So I was overthinking it.
1: This wine is actually pushing, alcohol-wise, 16%. I think, what has he got it listed here? Listed at 15.8. 15.8, yeah, pushing yeah. 16%. And the government allows you a little wiggle room where right. alcohol is concerned. So that could be over 16. It could be over 16. So it's pretty potent, although I think it disguises the alcohol pretty well.
3: Quite well balanced. But
1: I think yeah. a really excellent expression of what a Zinfandel should taste like.
3: This is not a wine to fool you.
1: And it's not but- some big jammy, mouthful of Welch's grape jelly. I think it's really got some elegance to it, I think. It is an
3: elegant wine. Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
1: So going back to the idea of becoming a psalm and taking those exams... I would say this. Unless you intend to work in the industry, your time might be better spent reading everything you can possibly read and subscribing to a few of the really good magazines. There's a lot of information out there. If you want to become somebody who's making a living in the wine industry, you probably will have to become a psalm if you're going to be talking up wines. But no point in doing that if it's just for your own personal satisfaction, because you could spend the same amount of time learning stuff that's really going to be valuable to you as a layperson.
3: Right. Does that make sense? It makes sense. And I think that it's good to know that besides those two sort of top examples of wine programs for professionals, there is just a whole maze of different wine education courses and programs. But for the layperson in most urban centers, you can take a series of classes. There's a lot of rich material out there.
1: I think more than anything, it helps you find other wines that you're going to love as much as the wines that you're used to loving. Right. So, the end of the story is if you don't need it, don't do it. But if you just want to do it for fun and you got a lot of time on your hands, that's great too. Why not? Ah, heck. You know what? We got our own shtick and we teach that to our listeners and readers. (laughs) What more could you want? We're good. All right. You know what you could want? More grape encounters. And we've got more coming your way right after these important messages. Grape
0: encounters will continue shortly. If you're near a computer or have your smartphone in hand, join our Facebook group page by searching for GrapeEncountersRadio.com. David will return after these enlightening messages. Grape Encounters Radio is based in Atascadero, California for good reason. It's the heart of the Central Coast wine country and the perfect home base for endless adventures. Atascadero is friendly, affordable, and offers unparalleled access to world-class equestrian ranches, bicycle trails, hiking, breathtaking beaches, cutting-edge culinary experiences, and endless wine country adventures. Learn more about Atascadero, the gateway to good times, at visitatascadero.com.
1: Living in and broadcasting from one of the world's finest wine regions makes it virtually impossible not to make frequent references to the multitude of amazing things going on here on the central coast of California. Grape Encounters Radio has built one of the world's most unique wine bars so that you can have the opportunity to come to the city of Atascadero and enjoy great wines and equally good conversation with me and other visitors. Best of all, my favorite hotel in the area is literally right across the street, the historic Carlton Hotel with accommodations that are both beautiful and affordable. The Carlton Hotel takes you back to a glorious time in California history. And now that the wine industry has ushered in yet another exciting new chapter here on the Central Coast, you can experience the best of then and now. Book your accommodations at the lovingly restored Carlton Hotel in Atascadero. Then, let me help you plan daily excursions that will create a lifetime of unforgettable memories. You'll find a link to the Carlton Hotel at GrapeEncounters.com. Why not get a jump on the holidays and start looking for the perfect gift for that
0: wine lover in your life? At winetalkshow.com, you'll find an awesome selection of wine-related gifts and accessories that are not the same old, same old. From the most advanced wine preservation systems to beautiful accessories. If you can remember winetalkshow.com, you can find tons of products for wine lovers in a snap. We've got what every wine lover wants at winetalkshow.com. Grape Encounters is 100% estate-grown. We have, however, removed the pretentiousness and added a healthy dose of fun. You make
1: me want to get barefoot and buck wild. And
0: now, Grape Encounters with David Wilson
1: continues. Fairfoot yeah. and buck wild. All right, and we are back with Grape Encounters Radio. And, you know, I had something completely different planned for this segment. But, you know, once in a while... You get a great big surprise in life, and I got one just a few minutes ago, and I hurriedly have dragged that surprise into the studio. The surprise is the one and only Randy Arnold, the brand ambassador for Barefoot Wines. We had Randy on, I think, about two months ago, and I had absolutely no idea he was... Come in this direction, and here you are! Yeah, thank you so much for having me on, David. We came by for a glass of wine, and look at where we are. So, you were headed from north to south, right? Yeah, we thought we split up the trip a little bit and enjoy Paso Robles, so. And and you could have at least given me a fair warning. (laughs) We could have, that's true. Anyway, you know, it has been such a thrill. Ever since I had you on the show, I've had an opportunity to get to know others, including the founders of Barefoot, Bonnie and Michael. And so much fun, great people, got to spend some time up at their house also in Sonoma. Now, of course, they're not with the company anymore, but, you know, it's nice to see when somebody sells a company that they remain so incredibly loyal to the company and the brand that had done them so much good. But, you know, we didn't get to talk as long as I would have liked to. And I have dragged you into this room because there was a part of the conversation that we touched on when we last spoke that really has settled in my brain a bit more and and really percolated. I think there are two distinct classifications of wine. And the first is the person who is a wine geek and looks for hard-to-find wines or interesting values or maybe will spare no expense to buy a great bottle of wine. But the lion's share of people who drink wine just love wine as a treat, something special and good and delicious and not necessarily expensive. And Barefoot really falls into that category But it's a special brand because it has a festive and lovable nature to the brand that I think may explain a lot of the reason why so many people have so much affection for it. Yeah, you know, the foot is fun, and it's the the foot that crushed the grape. So when you
4: look at the bottle, you get this wonderful impression of this wine-stained footprint. And that's how it all started, actually. It was the idea of the wine-stained footprint right on the label. 25 years ago, my goal was really to bring new consumers to the wine category, And we like to think of ourselves as house wine for your house. I say we're Monday through Thursday night. And then they can drink the expensive stuff on the weekends to impress their friends. And I'm very happy with that. Because Monday through Thursday is a lot of of wonderful business that we can gather.
1: Yeah, and it makes good sense when you think about it. And I think we all do this, by the way. Even if you talk to people who are... Pretty high up the wine food chain. They'll generally tell you that their wine budget for most of the week is, is pretty modest. And so it's, it's nice to have good quality, you know, very drinkable wines around. And then you're not squandering your money all week long and having to basically just compromise all the way across the board, unless you've got an unlimited supply of money. I always would
4: say is that if people don't have a good experience at the entry level price point, we've lost them and that's really sad. So if they can enjoy a great bottle of Barefoot Pinot Grigio, for instance, the number one selling Pinot Grigio in America, and,
1: um, you know, that that is a really wonderful thing. It's amazing in these wine competitions how many times in blind tastings Barefoot comes out smelling like a rose. Yes,
4: Barefoot is the top award winner in a competitions for both wine and bubblies, so that's pretty amazing. We really owe that to our fantastic winemaker Jennifer Wall. She gets all the credit for quality.
1: We, what does that mean? They're the top medal getter period we of have any more, wines more
4: medals than any uh, winery in America in US competitions. So That's amazing. It yeah. is totally amazing.
1: Now, some competitions will pit wines that are in the same price category against one another. Some of them don't. Do you fare as well when you're in a competition where price is not a consideration or do you know you know, um, the the State Fair,
4: for instance, is one of the biggest competitions, and that's by uh, price category. But we we do really well in all kinds of competitions, the L.A. County Fair, Riverside, San Diego. And we're winning a lot of show medals, too, which is really tremendous. When you can be better than a gold medal in a competition, you know, double gold winner for our region, those are really fantastic medals to have.
1: Yeah, definitely. Well, it, it really is a, a tribute to the company and Gallo and also the founders of Barefoot that they've managed to maintain a high level of consistency, continuity, and create a pretty darn good product that you don't hear really any complaints about. And barefoot also is an interesting product because it is often part of something even bigger and greater, because a lot of people use it to create wine cocktails and sangrias and all kinds of fun things. If it's fun, there may be some bare feet Right around the corner. Yeah. You know, one thing that I love to do is cook with our wines, too. So, you know, it's
4: important to cook with wine that you would enjoy having a glass of. So I've done cooking shows, and we have a lot of recipes that we developed for Barefoot wines and cooking with them as well. So I love it because you need to buy a bottle for the table and a bottle for the recipe. So I just doubled our sales. How fantastic is that?
1: No, (laughs) you you could triple it. There's a, a bottle for the table, a bottle for the recipes, and then the bottle that's carefully stashed in the walk-in pantry while you're cooking. Perfect. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> well, Randy, I so appreciate you coming down. You my, know, my pleasure. Randy Arnold, the brand ambassador for Barefoot had so much to do with the creation of the brand's image and the inevitable success of the brand, the most successful wine brand in America. So, you know, I was going to say my hat's off to Barefoot, but I guess I should say my tennies off to Barefoot. Fantastic. Thank you, so much. Hey, David. Thanks for coming by. And I, again, it was a great surprise. I had no idea you were even in the neighborhood. Thank you so much, David. All right. That's going to do it for Grape Encounters for this week. We'll be back with another edition of grape encounters so maybe next week just pick up a nice juicy bottle of barefoot wine maybe a little barefoot prosecco would that be good that would be fantastic that's our our italian prosecco so
4: our newest barefoot bubbling
1: yeah kick back enjoy that and we'll see you next week thanks randy all right thanks
0: this week's grape encounters is down to the last drop Don't let that trouble you. We're headed down to the wine cellar in search of something remarkably special to share with you next week. Until then, we've got hundreds upon hundreds of past episodes ready to be uncorked at GrapeEncounters.com. Help yourself to anything you'd like.